Anyway, we have come to the end of our Summer of Love series. It's been a seven-part series, and today is the last day. The next three weeks, we're going to have uh, a lot of special stuff going on at Generation Church, so you don't want to miss it. We've got some uh, great stuff lined up for you. Uh, but for today, we're going to finish our Summer of Love series. Um, and so far, we've learned uh, what it means uh, for God to love us. Why does God love us and what does that actually mean for us? We've discovered also how we are to love God and we're to love God with all of our hearts, with all of our soul, with all of our mind and all of our strength. And then last week we discovered how we are supposed to love our neighbor as ourselves, because God said that the greatest commandment is this, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind and with all your strength. And to love your neighbor as yourself. Well, as we close it today, i got a question for you. When you die, and I'm not trying to get miserable with you or anything, but just think a moment. When you die, what do you want people to say at your funeral? Have you ever thought about it? Have you ever thought about that? Is that a, yeah, let's, show, let's see if I raise of hands. Have you ever thought about what people are going to say at your funeral? You can tell the people who are just like, oh, man, just morbid in life. Well, I actually, I've thought about it a lot. And I used to think about it all the time. I don't know why I wasn't ready to die, but I used to think about it all the time. And this is what I wanted people to say at my funeral. I wanted people to stand up and, you know, tears in their eyes, you know, because there had to be tears in their eyes, right? And I'd want them to say, you know, Alex was a wonderful man, and he changed the world. That's what I wanted them to say. I wanted them to stand up and say, you know, Alex was a great man of faith. Alex was a passionate man. Alex was this man who just everybody else wanted to be. That's what I used to want people to say at my funeral. But, you know, I've changed my mind, and I really don't want people to say that anymore at my funeral. In fact, I really don't care at my funeral if people say how successful I am or not. Uh, I don't really care if people say I left my stamp on this world. My greatest desire is this for people to say at my funeral. Alex loved well. Alex loved well. I want people to say at my funeral that Alex loved God with everything within him. That Alex chose to love those closest to him passionately. And that Alex loved the stranger like he loved himself. That's really what I want people to say. I want, I want people to say at my funeral that Alex decided to love. Instead of decided to hate, instead of decided to, to choose to become successful or go after everything that, that he could get his hands on. Instead, I want people to say that Alex chose to love. And you know, when we think about the greatest people in this world, like the greatest people throughout history who have ever lived on this planet, we think of those who have achieved great things. We, we think of those who fought oppression. And they, they, they fought for justice. We think about those who made discoveries in this life. Or those who created inventions that we have. You know, I mean, where would you be without your smartphone, you know, or your iPhone? We think about those people. Those are great people. We think about those who said wise things. You know, we still quote people who live like, 10, 15,000 years ago, and we still quote them with things that they said. 
at their time. And we often think that those people are the great people. They live great lives. Well, the Bible tells us something very different. The Bible actually tells us the greatest way that you can live this life. In fact, it gives you a a, a plan of how to live the greatest life ever. And this morning, I want us to look at what that plan is. So if you have your Bibles, if you want to turn to 1 Corinthians, we're going to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 13 this morning. But we're going to start in the last verse of 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And in verse Corinthians chapter 12, And verse 31, at the very end, the last part of verse 31, it says this. It says, but now let me show you a way of life that is best of all. Now let me show you a way of life that is best of all. So there's this guy called the Apostle Paul who wrote lots of letters to lots of churches in Europe and in Asia, in modern-day Turkey. And he wrote letters in how they should conduct themselves. You see, they didn't have the Bible like we have. So he wrote letters to them, telling them exactly what they should do, what they should say, how they should live. Now they have this Christian life, and now they're followers of Jesus Christ. And so Paul wrote this letter to a church in a city called Corinth. Now, Corinth was just riddled with sin. It was this like nasty place where people worshipped all these other gods. There was lots of sexual stuff going on. And it was just like this place where if you wanted to be a Christian in Corinth, you were battling against a lot of stuff. I mean, it's like going to like Amsterdam and being a Christian or something like that. You know, I mean, it was much harder than probably being a Christian in here in Bel Air just because of all the stuff that was going on. And so Paul wrote this letter. And during this letter, he he basically wrote at length how they are to conduct themselves. He described what is sin, what isn't sin. He, He even told them, as a church, when you guys meet together like we do on a Sunday morning, how you are to conduct themselves. Some of the things that they should do and they shouldn't do in church. Uh, And then he also gives uh, them uh, or tells them that God has given each of them gifts and talents that they are to use for God's service. And so he's telling them how to live their life, how the church should be run, and all these different things. And then suddenly Paul says, okay guys, time out. It's time for a time out. We need to get back to basics, and we need to find out what this life is really all about. So Paul says, I'm now going to show you the best way to live life, the greatest life that you could ever live. And despite all these things that that God may use you in, and and despite all your gifts and talents, and, and no matter how creative you are, or how smart you are, or how rich you are, or how talented you are, there is one way to live the best life ever. And so he writes a section of Scripture in this letter that if you guys have been to a wedding in the last 90 years, which you probably all have, you've heard somebody read this letter. And we use it all the time in weddings. Trust me, it's my go-to verse at weddings. I love reading this at weddings because everyone's like, yeah, yeah, it's all about love. But this letter that we're going to read and this section of Scripture is not for a wedding. In fact, Paul wrote this, what we're going to read in a minute, to a church. 
And he wrote it to the people so they could understand exactly the best way to live life. The greatest way to live life. And, and, and through this, I've picked out three things that I want us to look at this morning. And the first thing is this, that I want us to look at. In your life, in order for you to have the greatest life ever, love has to be the foundation and love has to be the siding. Love the foundation, love the siding. When you look at a building, Say you look at your house, your wonderful house that you live in. Some of you live in big homes. Some of you live in small homes. But I'm sure most of you, you love your home. When you look at your home and you describe it to someone, what does your home look like? What are you going to say? You're going to say, well, I live in like a brick home. Or I live in a, a frame home with some vinyl siding. Or no siding. Or uh, you live in a home that has maybe stucco. Or you live in like a concrete like building block. And, and, and you describe the outside. You describe what the siding of the home looks like. However, if you go up to a building, you don't look at it and say, you know, I wonder what the foundation is made out of. I wonder if that's on a slab or if there's a basement. I wonder if there's a crawl space. I wonder if there's like secret tunnels under that building. I mean, you may say that if you go to like Washington, D.C. and you see the White House, you may think of the tunnels underneath. But ultimately, when you look at a house you, or a building, any building, the, the thing that comes to mind is the outside of the building. For it is the exterior of the building that makes the building pretty, Right? I mean, you can have the greatest home ever, but, you know, if you've got, like, this nasty color on the outside and, and you've got, like, old wood, like, siding that's just coming, ac- coming apart, you're not going to say that's pretty. So it's the outside of the building that makes the building pretty, but it is the foundation of the building that will make that building last. The exterior makes it pretty, but the foundation makes it last. So when Paul's writing this letter to the church at Corinth, he says this in verse 13, starting at verse 1. Paul says, if I could speak all the languages of earth and of angels, but didn't love others, I would, be, I would only be a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I had the gift of prophecy, meaning being able to tell what what God is trying to say to people, if I understood all of God's secret plans and possessed all knowledge, and if I had such faith that I could move mountains but didn't love others, he says, I would be nothing. If I gave everything I have to the poor, and even sacrifice my body, I could boast about it. But if I didn't love others, I would have gained nothing. Gained nothing. So Paul tells the Corinthian church, he says basically this, it's all very well being pretty on the outside. But if love is in your foundation, then you're just like a noisy gong. We used to go to this hotel when I was a kid. 
in southern part of, uh, of England. And my dad, it was like a Christian hotel, and it wasn't the Hilton or anything like that. And, and my dad would preach one week, and they would have people come, and, and you know, it was like a, a go-to-church vacation. You know, I mean, like, you know, whatever floats your boat. But anyway, so, so my dad would preach one week, and then we would stay the next week. Well, they used to have like these meal times when everybody came together for breakfast, lunch, and dinner, whoever would stay at the hotel. Well, they would get this gong, and you could be anywhere, and they would start smashing it and banging this gong. And like breakfast would be served at 8 in the morning. You'd be in bed, and you'd hear this gong, and you'd just be like, shut up. I'm on vacation, please. And so it was like a gong, and it was like annoying, and that's what Paul is saying. He says, if you've got all this other stuff, he's saying, if, if you are really pretty on the outside and you've got lots of knowledge and, and you've got great faith and, and maybe you're a great man of God or woman of God, maybe you can prophesy, maybe you're just the smartest person ever, but you don't have love on the inside, then you're like that noisy gong. And Paul says, it's worth nothing. You know, one thing here about Generation Church is we, we say that we exist as Generation Church to make the bride of Christ beautiful again. I think the bride of Christ is called the church of Christ. And there's a lot of things that have gone throughout the centuries that have made the church an ugly thing. Some people have got a bad perception of the church. And so we decided we wanted to start this church in order to make the bride of Christ, the church of Christ, beautiful again. So other people would see a beautiful bride. And I feel that we are really good at being pretty on the outside. We're pretty good at putting our makeup on. We're pretty good at doing our hair, you know? Well, I'm good at doing my hair. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> We're good at dressing up. We're good at doing things. But I have a feeling, and this is just from us being in this thing, doing this church for the last nearly four years. I think we're good on being pretty on the outside, but I think we need to work on our foundation a little more. I'm just, being, I'm just being honest with you this morning. I'm not trying to make you feel bad or anything. I just think we need to work on our foundation a little more. And this is why I see lots of people visit our church. Some stay. A lot of people don't. People get attracted to different things. They come in. They're like, wow, this place is cool. The music is cool. You know, it's like the kids' area is cool. But for people to come and be part of our community, they need to feel loved. You know why? Because music and good preaching and cool lights and free candy and really good kids' ministries, they will attract people. But for people to stay and for this church to grow, we need love. We need love. And Paul says, you can have the greatest faith. You can be used by God in great ways. In fact, you could be the most generous people to the poor. You could see every poor person give everything that you have to the poor. And let's be honest, like in, in, in recent times in churches, that's what we think we need to do. Give everything to the poor and just serve the poor, which is good. And we need to serve the poor. But Paul says, 
if love isn't the foundation, it's useless. It's useless. He says, you could climb the career ladder. You can become famous. You can gain great wealth. You can gain a million degrees, you know, and go and have like thousands of master's degrees. Gain your PhD. You can have the most Facebook likes out there, the most Twitter followers. And this is what Paul says, who cares? Who cares? He says, because without love, all this other stuff is going to pass away. He said, it's nothing. He said, only a life of love gains. And when both the foundation of your life and the exterior of your life is made out of love, then, then we are a true beauty to behold. A true beauty to behold. Second thing I want to say to you this morning is this, love takes work. Love takes work. You know, this series, throughout this series, I hope that through this series, we've taught you that love is not just a feeling. In fact, love takes work. Love is intentional. Love isn't just about, oh, I feel good. Love is intentional. You know, people don't fall into love and out of love with a feeling. In fact, people fall out of love because they stop working at love. Marriages don't fail because of a loss of a feeling. They fail when we stop working. Churches don't decline because of a lack of faith. They die when we stop working to love each other more. So 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 4 to 7 tells us this. And this is the work. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It is not irritable and it keeps no record of being wronged. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up. It never loses faith, is always hopeful and endures through every circumstance. Look at the words he's using there. Love is patient, kind, not jealous, not boastful. It it doesn't keep a record of, of a wrong. It never gives up. It never loses hope. These are words of work. They are action words. They are words of making a choice. You know, I hope everyone here knows the name Abraham Lincoln. If you don't, go back to school. Abraham Lincoln, he's probably known as one of the greatest presidents that we had. Am I I right? I would say he's one of the best presidents that the U.S. uh, has ever had. You know, I mean, not only the work that he did for slavery, but, you know, being able to to be a president through a war and, and different things. And he's gone down in history as one of the greatest presidents ever. But many of you don't know the story of Abraham Lincoln's wife. He married this lady called Mary Todd. And Mary Todd was just a a normal girl that he fell in love with. They had children, and they had a little boy called Willie. And when Willie became 11 years old, he uh, got a disease that ended his life. And Willie died. And suddenly, Mary Todd's life turned upside down. 
Mary Todd no longer was the woman that she once was. In fact, something changed in her life that she became somebody who was not recognizable. In fact, she became almost insane. People would look at her and think that she was insane. She was overcome with depression, overcome with, with, with what has gone on in her life, that she became a different person. And she started to make life horrible for Abraham Lincoln. She constantly threatened to kill herself. She would actually hit and beat Abraham Lincoln, physically hit him. She treated him like an animal. And then there were times when it was weeks and months on end, she would not even talk to him. In fact, she would just sit in her room, look out the window, and not do anything. And everybody told Abraham Lincoln, you need to divorce this woman. If you want to become a great president, you need to divorce this woman. They said, you can't lead the country with these problems at home. How can you lead a country, you know, out of, uh, out of the crisis that that country is in if you can't even lead your wife out of the crisis that she is in? Yet Abe, he decided, I'm going to love. I'm going to love. He wanted to be remembered more as a loving husband, not a successful president. So he chose to love. He became patient with her, even though she was never patient with him. He became kind, even though it was very rare for her to be kind to him. He he decided, I'm not going to be rude to her, even though almost every day she was rude to him. He did not demand his own way, even though she was very demanding. He didn't bring up uh, past problems and past episodes and past arguments. In order to win an argument. In fact, he decided, I'm not going to give up. I'm not going to lose hope in this marriage. You know, his marriage really never repaired. Mary Todd never changed. In fact, when Abraham Lincoln died, she was still in a state. And eventually she went into a mental home. But Abraham Lincoln decided to love. And the result of that love that he decided to show, he actually became one of the greatest presidents ever. You know what, I think if he had just decided to dismiss her, he probably wouldn't have been able to lead the country the way he had. You know why? His life was built on love. He chose to love. And I ask you today, how's your patience doing? How's your kindness doing? How jealous do you become when you see somebody else have something that you don't have or you would like? Are you proud or boastful? How irritable have you become? I know a lot of you get irritable because of lack of sleep, but you know, but how irritable are you in your life right now? How demanding are you of demanding your own way? Are you a a person who is holding a grudge to others? Do you seek to correct injustice? Do you keep going when you feel like giving up? Do you stand on your faith even though when all around it's like you're losing a grip of life? Do you choose to endure through everything? 
For when love is the foundation, it becomes a treasure you cannot lose, and you will work and work and work for love. Third thing I want to say, and the last thing I want to say to you today. Love lasts forever. Love lasts forever. The building that lasts is one that is built on a good foundation. Jesus once gave this story. He said, there was a wise man and there was a foolish man. And he said, the foolish man decided he was going to build his house in the place that he could build quickest of all. And that was on the sand. So he built up this structure on the sand and he sat back and he was like, look at my beautiful building. Then the wise man, he decided he was going to take a little longer and he was going to scape the, or, or scope the landscape out. And he found a, a rock that he was going to build on. And it, and it took him a bit of time to, to, to make it so that he could build a house on it. And he took a lot longer than the guy on the sand. But he built the, the house and he stood back. And he realized what a wonderful house he had built. And then a storm came. And like some of the storms, like the one we had Monday. Wasn't that a crazy storm? So we, those storms came. And, and as the storms came, the house on the sand, even though it was beautiful on the outside, the storm came and it collapsed because its foundation was on nothing. And then the house that was built on the rock, on the, on the good foundation, the storm came and the wind battered and the waves came against it, but it stood firm. And a life that is built on love is a life that is built on a good foundation. And no matter what life will throw at it, it will stand firm. Whether it is a marriage, a career, a family, a friendship, a church that is built on love stands the test of time. No matter what storms come, it lasts because love is the rock. Listen to this, 1 Corinthians 13 verse 8. To the end of the chapter, it says, prophecy and speaking in unknown languages and special knowledge will become useless, but love will last forever. Now our knowledge is partial and incomplete, and even the gift of prophecy reveals only part of the whole picture. But when the time of perfection comes, these partial things will become useless. When I was a child, Paul says, I spoke and thought and reasoned as a child. But when I grew up, I put away childish things. Now we see things imperfectly, like puzzling reflections in a mirror. But then we will see everything with perfect clarity. He's talking about the day we get to heaven. All that I know now is partial and incomplete. But, we, but then I will know everything completely Just as God now knows me completely, then he says this. Three things will last forever. Faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. All that you see today is going to pass away. This building will pass away. These lights that you see in screens that that you see, they will pass away. These chairs that you're sitting in, they're going to pass away. Did you know that your career will actually pass away? Your house that you live in, 
will soon pass away. The possessions that you have, there's going to be a day when they are useless and worthless. No one's going to say at your funeral, oh, what a wonderful house you lived in. And then there's nothing worse at your funeral than someone saying, wow, you worked to have the best career of your life. Love is what you want people to say at your funeral. For love will last. And Paul says three things are eternal. Faith, hope, and love. And he says, and the greatest of these is love. And this is why here at Generation Church, we teach faith. We teach that you need to have faith in God. That that is why we point out that Jesus Christ is the hope of the world. Because faith is eternal. Hope is eternal. But we desire that we be on a foundation of love. For we'll pass. Our methods are going to pass. The songs that we sing will pass. Ask our kids. In 20 years' time, if they want to sing the songs that we're singing right now, they're going to laugh at you. And they're like, that's so lame. Because I do that to my parents. The ways that we communicate, your, your technology that you've got, it's all going to pass. But my prayer is that we will be known as a church that loves. Because a church that loves is built on something that will last forever. And that is love. And this summer, as we've gone through this Summer of Love series, it's reminded me as your pastor that we need to be built on a foundation of love. If we truly want this community around us to experience the love of Christ, then love is what we need to strive for. As a church, I believe we need to love better. We need to love more and we need to be driven forward by our love. And you know how it starts? It starts with us going back to basics and accepting the love of Christ in our lives. Accepting the love of God and the love of the Holy Spirit. Letting that love come into our heart and change us. For I said in week one of this series that we cannot truly love until we experience the love of Jesus Christ. And then when we do that, we'll be able to love God with our emotions, with our heart. We'll be able to love God with our inner man, our soul. We'll be able to love God with our knowledge and seek to know Him more, love Him with our minds. We'll be able to love God with our time and our talents and our strength and our energy. And then we'll be, and then that love that will be within us will start to overflow from us. And loving others will be as natural as it is to love ourselves. You know, I fear a church and I fear a community that is pretty on the outside. Pretty does not mean beautiful. For a church to be truly beautiful, we have to love. And love with all of our hearts. And you know, for the rest of 2014, I, I, I've made it a, a pledge to, to God. That as a church, that we are going to strive to let love be what people feel and sense when they encounter the people of Generation Church. 
Not, not just wonderful, talented people, not people who are, have great faith, but people who love. Because if we don't have love, then what's the point? So I challenge you. Let us become a beautiful bride. And that's a bride that loves. Let's bow our heads in prayer.